0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part two of our series called Overflow. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, here it is. I want to read our passage of scripture this morning. It's found in 1 John chapter three. It's uh, it's going to be on the screen. So if you don't mind standing for just a moment longer. 1 John chapter three, it says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how our hearts will be at rest in his presence. And if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. I want to call our message today, this is what love is. This is what love is. Come on, can we just one more time give it up for the Lord? You guys can... Have a seat this morning. Hey, on your way to your seat, do you mind just looking at the person next to you and welcoming them to church this morning and just saying, hey, so glad that you could be here. Amazing, so glad you guys could all be here. If you're new or visiting, my name is Harrison, and I'm just so glad that you could be here today. Uh, I want to begin just by letting you guys know something kind of monumental in my life, kind of, Uh, but my wife uh, has recently taught uh, our twin girls Had to do somersaults. Now, the somersault is a bittersweet moment for me. Obviously, it is sweet to watch my daughters do somersaults, but the bitter part, uh, it is a stark reminder of my life growing up. Uh, I was never able to do a somersault. Still can't do a somersault. You guys, do you guys remember, like, in gym class? Uh, There would be, like, the gymnastics kind of portion sometimes, and I remember in gym class, he had to do a routine, and, like, there was the failures version of the somersault known as the log roll, and that was kind of where I would usually end up was doing the log roll instead of the somersault. Uh, Nevertheless... I digress. Thank you for listening to my story about somersaults. But my daughters, Christy has taught them to do somersaults. But uh, it was kind of funny uh, just watching them through this whole process. So I get home one day, and Christy's like, okay, girls, show daddy what you can do. And so they showed me that they could do a somersault. So they kind of do the whole tuck and roll, and then they're done. But weirdest thing happened was, like, they did the somersault a couple of times, but then all of a sudden... Like they got into the position and, and mind you, they've done it like two, three, four times and just like super excited every single time, like so pumped, so proud, so happy. But they got in the position and they would kind of just freeze. And they'd be too afraid to do the somersault. And I'm watching and it was kind of weird because I'm like, you just, you just did it. Like you've seen like and you, and you really enjoy it when you, when you do the flip. Like you're so happy. But they would just kind of pause at the top and then they started to tumble over and just completely didn't do the somersault. And as I'm watching this thing, I thought it was so weird because, like, I had just seen them do it, and I know they can do it, and, like, when they did it, they were super happy, super excited, yet for whatever reason, they'd line up, then they'd just chicken out, and they'd bail out, and they'd fall off to the side. And as I was thinking about <clears throat> the girls and their somersaults this week, I just kind of felt like it gave me a picture of what it looks like. To follow Jesus sometimes, and I just very specifically felt like it gave us a picture of the current season that we are in as a church and where God has taken us. Uh, if you guys were not here last week, we began a brand new series. It is our year-end series called Overflow, and what this series is about, it is all about generosity and faith, and one of the things that we said last week is that when you begin to follow Jesus, your life will begin to overflow. Overflow. That's a, we said it's a take it to the bank promise. It's a guarantee. If you follow Jesus, your life will begin to overflow. Psalm 23 6 is kind of like the the overarching theme of our series that God's goodness and mercy, they follow us. So, like, you have Jesus in your life, his goodness is literally following after you. It's not a hope, it's a promise. I want us to understand that you follow Jesus. His goodness is chasing after you. Not a hope, it's a promise. But, and and again, I encourage you, if you missed part one last week, go check it out. But I know for a lot of us, we hear the promise to follow Jesus, and it sounds really good, the life of overflow and, and his goodness and his mercy. It sounds really good, but like not a lot of us experience it. And not all of us are actually willing to even do what it takes to experience the life of overflow. And so when I was thinking about that picture of the girls doing their somersault, I had this picture where it looks like to follow Jesus sometimes. We're like, because I know you guys have been there, some of us, where it's like we take that big step of faith. Maybe for some of us that big step of faith was to come to church. Like that was a, that was a really big step of faith. Or for some of us like joining the team and starting to serve or, or starting to give. Like, we've had these, these moments where we take leaps of faith. And, like, for the most part, like, it feels really good. And, like, we're actually, we see the tangible fruits of following Jesus. But what you need to understand is that when you follow Jesus, it's one big leap. But then as I move forward, there's another one. And as time goes on, there's another one. And I think what can happen so many times as we go to follow Jesus is we make the first leap. We we make the first flip. But then when God calls us to the next thing, we kind of bail out. You guys ever been there? And what I want us to understand is that to follow Jesus is never linear. And to be honest, to follow Jesus isn't always easy. To take those steps, take those leaps of faith, it's not always easy. There'll be moments where God will call us to do things that we don't think make sense. But the promise, I believe, is one, again, that we can hope and, and bank our hope in. It is that when we follow Jesus, mercy and goodness will follow us. Our lives will begin to overflow. But what that means is that we have to take the step. And sometimes we have to, jump off the edge when it doesn't feel like we know what's next. And so this whole series and this whole season that we are in, what we are trying to do is posture ourselves as a church, especially as we head into a new year, where I believe that in 2023, God has more for our lives. God wants to do more in our marriages. God wants to do more in our businesses. God wants to do more in this church. But in order for him to do what he wants to do, we have to follow him. And that's not always easy. And so what we do in this series is we posture ourselves by finishing our year in giving to say, God, I'm going to posture my heart in trust so I'm ready for what you have next. And so today what I want to do is I want to continue to get us and keep us in that posture of giving. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study 1 John chapter 3. Because last week I told you guys that um, to follow Jesus good life, the Lord is our shepherd, all that stuff. But today, I kind of want to go a little bit deeper. Like, what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? Tangibly, Harrison, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And so, we're going to study 1 John, and I'll give us a little bit Um, of context before we get into the book. So uh, John, who was a follower of Jesus, he was someone that actually saw Jesus firsthand. And he wrote the book of uh, the the epistle of 1 John to a church, to a body of believers. And kind of one of the reasons that John wrote this book is because there was a whole bunch of controversies going around. There was a a big word. uh, You guys may have heard this word before. There was heresies going around. And the heresies specifically that John is addressing was kind of the idea of who Jesus is, Who is Jesus? And so what's interesting in the book of 1 John is that John goes to great detail to explain who Jesus was, that he was the son of God, that he has died for our sins, all of these amazing things. But one of the things that you will see as you read the book of 1 John is that there is another theme that is going on. And the theme for John is that, yes, it is important to have right belief. It's important to know what is true, especially when it comes to Jesus, But as you go through this book, what you will notice for John is that how we believe must affect how we live. And that's kind of the context. And in essence, what I'm going to show us when it comes to to 1 John and where God wants us to go today is that I can tell you guys in one word how you can live a life that will begin to overflow. You guys ready? Listen, y'all, you should lean in a little bit. One word. One word. And your life will begin to overflow if you can just begin to do one thing. You want to know what it is? Love. Love. Some of us disappointed. It's like, dang it, not that love thing. If you want to begin to experience a life, a life abundant, the life that Jesus offers us, all we have to do is to begin to love. Love. Now, I need to spend the whole message breaking this down because I think in our culture, love is kind of a buzzword, right? Because, like, I want us to really to understand this. To follow Jesus is to love. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, Harrison, I have a friend, Agnostic Andy, and, like, he's pretty loving. Does that mean that he's a follower of Jesus? A few weeks ago, if you guys were here, I made a little bit of a stir when I talked about loving yourself. And, like, is, is that what it means to be a follower of Jesus? The question, like, because if a if life of overflow, all I have to do to experience overflow is to love. The next question out of our mouths should be simply this. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. If to follow Jesus is to love, if to live a life that is overflowing is to love, I should want to know what love is. Listen, if I'm experiencing lows in my life, if I don't feel like I have enough, if I'm constantly running on empty, the truth is, it just means I am not experiencing nor am I giving love because that is the the truth and that is the way to experience the life of overflow. The question we must ask ourselves is what is love? So glad you asked. First John chapter 3 verse 16. This someone say this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. So listen, here's a really simple definition. To love, what's love? To love is to be like Jesus. To love is to be like Jesus. And so again, we have a whole bunch of different thoughts, different definitions, different pictures of what love is. Here is the simplest definition. To love is to be like Jesus. Now, I need to break this down because I got to get even more specific than that. So in the Bible... Specifically, here in John, the word that is used for love, the Bible was written in a language called Greek. And the word for love in Greek is agape. You guys might have heard of this before. Agape is the word. And so, literally, the definition of agape, which we translate as love, agape is literally this idea to give, to give, to give of ourselves. Love is to give. You want the best definition of love. Love is to give. And so John takes it a step further. He says, this is how we know what self-giving love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. So here's a simple thought. The cross where Jesus died for us is the ultimate display of Jesus giving to us. Listen, if you want to know what love is, John says, look to the cross. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate display of what it means to love. Now, if it's that simple, and for some of us perhaps too simplistic, we must then take it a step further. Well, what then did Jesus do on the cross? Why was the cross the ultimate picture of what love is? So, For some of us, perhaps you've heard this before. If you've heard this before, you can never hear it too much. But if you've never heard it, I'm going to explain the gospel in like three and a half minutes as best as I possibly can. So I need you all to lean in. I need you all to wake up because I'm going to share some good news. Can I do that? So. One of the things that is kind of cool is that there is this thing called the Bible. The Bible that I believe is the word of God gives us an accurate description of who Jesus is and who God is. And one of the things you need to know about the Bible in terms of what it says that God is like, we get one characteristic that you guys have probably heard. God is love. If you want to understand what God is, God is love. The Bible doesn't say God is loving. The Bible literally says God is love. He is the personification of what love is. And so we know that God is love. But that isn't the only characteristic we know about God. One of the things the Bible is also very clear on is that God is holy. So God is loving and God is also holy. What does holy mean? He means set apart. In other words, you could say God is also just. There is no evil within God. There is no sin within God. God himself cannot actually stand in justice. Because for as loving as he is, he is also holy and he is also righteous. And so you have this picture of God who loves more than anyone, more than anything, but who is also holy, just, and righteous. And I think this is a characteristic that a lot of times we don't go deep enough into understanding, but it is actually a fabric of our DNA that I believe God gave to us, is that each and every one of us, we are all hardwired with a sense of justice. Meaning when we see injustice, something happens to us. You guys have all watched a Netflix documentary before, right? Like where someone is really bad, someone's really evil, someone tricks someone, someone pretends to be someone. seen like the Mayoteo one, someone pretends to be the guy's girlfriend for just crazy stuff. Check it out. But all of us at some point have experienced injustice. Maybe it was from a person in power. Maybe it was from a person that was supposed to protect. All of us have experienced injustice, and when we experience injustice, what happens in each and every one of us? We want that person to experience justice. Have you guys ever seen someone that did not get what they deserved when they did something bad? You guys ever seen that before? What happens inside of us? There's a cry like, ooh, I can't stand that. You know why we have that? It's because we are created in the image of God. And God is the exact same way. For as much as he loves us, God also cannot stand injustice. Good news, but that's also bad news. Because there's an irony. You want to hear the irony about injustice? Every single one of us, we long for justice. Except when it has to do with me. You guys know what I'm saying? I want justice unless I fall short. I want them to get what they deserve unless it's me who needs to get what I deserve. But there's an issue. The Bible lets us know that each and every one of us actually falls short. Each and every one of us is and will always be without the grace of Jesus a sinner. And so what happens is there's kind of a dilemma. God loves us, but he's also just. And so you and I deserve punishment. You know that thing you did? Just think really quickly. You know the you know the one. You deserve punishment. When you lied, when you let that person down, when, when you deserve punishment. And the truth is God who is just must enact punishment. But here's the good news, and here's where the cross comes into play. Because the cross is the perfect intersection of God's love and God's holiness. Because on the cross, what God did, he came down in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. That's what this whole Christmas season is about, is that Jesus came down, And what the Bible lets us know is on the cross, he took the sins of the world. What does that mean? It means every bad thing that you and I have done, Jesus took it upon himself. And on the cross, listen to this, he paid the price, he paid the penalty, he took what you deserved. And so the Bible lets us know... Literally, that he who knew no sin, he who was perfect, he became your sin, my sin, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Harrison, what does that mean? It literally means this. If you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation. What that means is this. When God looks at you, he doesn't actually see you. He sees Jesus if you are in him. And that means I can come to him boldly. It means I can come here and worship. I can lift my hands and not get struck by lightning. Not because I'm good. Not because I deserve it. Because Jesus paid the price for me. Is everyone following? That's good news. And that's what he means when he says, Jesus laid down his life for us. This is... That, what I just explained, it took me like five minutes, is what love is. I remember, no, 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 I didn't remember. I heard a story this week, um, and it was a story about Billy Graham. You guys have heard of Billy Graham, a few people. Even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard of Billy Graham. He's one of the most famous, probably, preachers, uh, at least in the 21st century, perhaps all time in terms of his reach. And Billy Graham, if you know him, he's got a very simple message, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus is actually that Savior. But I was reading a story, and I think it was sometime earlier in Billy Graham's career uh, as a preacher that he kind of started to get notoriety and he was getting invitations to speak. And so one day um, he got an invitation to speak at this famous university. And uh, as he was getting prepared, there was kind of rumblings around Billy like, hey, you know what? Like, these are educated people, these are people that, you know, they know a lot. And so, like, you don't want your message to be simple make sure it's eloquent, and so Billy, as the story goes, he prepared like he's never prepared before, quoting famous people, uh, thinkers that uh, just thought in a higher sphere, and he believed he prepared his best intellectual message ever about who Jesus was, and so as the story goes, he goes to the university, and for the first two days, these halls fill up with people, and Billy prepares his, his messages, his eloquent messages, and as the story goes, he says it falls flat. Is silent. No one really seems to respond. And so the third night, he decided that he's going to go back to his tried and true message, that Jesus died for our sins, that this is what love is, and salvation is found through him. And as the story goes, in the third night, at the end of his message, hundreds of people came down and gave their life to Jesus. And one of the men who was there, an intellectual thinker himself, he was recalling the story, of how Jesus changed his life. And he recalls that he was at this uh, meeting that Billy Graham preached at. And someone asked him, how come you gave your life to Christ that night? What happened? And he said, that night, for the very first time, I truly just believed that Jesus actually died for me, that I needed someone to die for me. And that changed everything. You see, this, come on somebody, is what love is that Jesus first loved us. And so I want us to understand something because we're in a season right now that we're calling an overflow season. And it is a season where we posture ourselves to give. We give financially, we give of our time, we give of our talents. But I want us to understand something before we ever give is that we must understand why we give. And the reason that we give is not even because we have so much. It's not because God has blessed us and given me a great job. None of those things. The reason that we give is because Jesus first gave his life for me. And so everything I do is just an outflow from that. I give because, guess what, in Christ I have eternal life. I give because he took away my sins, because he took away my shame. The cross is all that matters. I need to bring us back to this as we're kind of halfway through this series. The cross is all that matters. Paul says it like this. I love this. First Corinthians talking about a time when he was pastoring. He's like, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says my message is simple. Everything I do revolves around the cross of Jesus. And so as we posture ourselves for this season, I want you to understand, listen to this, if you've never heard it before, there is a God that loves you so much that he died for you. And the penalty that you deserve, Jesus bore it. He gave. And so 1 John 3, 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave, but look at this. He says, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, when I talk about the life of overflow, what did I say? I said, so simple, just love. Just love. And some of us are like, yes. Like, I I follow all the hashtags. And, you know, I'll, I'll let people in in traffic and all that good stuff. But to live a life of overflow is to believe that Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we lay down our lives for other people. Essentially what John is saying is this, he's saying our belief always affects our behavior. Our belief always affects our behavior. You need to understand something. Right belief And this is important because sometimes we get it twisted. Like, I don't have to believe anything. I just got to love. No, no, no. You won't know what love is if you don't believe properly. Right belief will lead to right behavior. When we experience the agape, the self-giving love of Jesus, there is something inside of me in return that wants to give. So I want you to understand something. The tangible proof that God's love is flowing in you is not that you come to church. Coming to church is a good thing. The tangible proof that God's love flows in you is not reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is a good thing. The tangible proof that God's love flows in you is not your Instagram bio that says, Save, Redeemed," Psalm 135. It's a good thing, maybe, as long as your posts match up. Come on, somebody. (laughs) The tangible proof that God's love exists in my heart is my willingness to lay down my own life for others. So what this means is this. As a follower of Jesus, generosity isn't a seasonal posture. It's not a -a once-a-week thing. And generosity sure is not a year-end offering. Generosity is a posture of my life. To say, I give because Jesus first gave for me. And let me tell you why the life of overflow isn't always easy. As great as the promise sounds. Let me tell you why so many of us, when we get to the top of that somersault, we bail out to the side. It's because each and every one of us, we are innately selfish. Can I just say it? It's funny, because we live in a culture that says like marriage is hard. And I think marriage can be hard. Um, parenting is hard. You want to know why marriage and parenting are hard? Super simple. It's just because we're selfish. Marriage is only hard because I'm selfish. Being a parent is only hard because I'm selfish. That's just the reality. No, none of us are ever just like, you know what, like, I just absolutely want to lose this argument. <laughs> I just, I hope she tramples me and I would, just, I would love that right now. It's hard because you and I are selfish. And there's actually only one thing that can, because I can like, I can, we can all manufacture selflessness for a couple of days. I can give every once in a while. I can relent every once in a while. But a life and a posture of generosity happens by one thing and one thing only. It is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit truly enters into my life. I truly invite him into my life only when I understand the cross. When I understand. Listen, God calls us to give only because he has first given for you and I. This is what love is. I lay down my life for others. Some of us said, okay, yes, no, Harrison, I do lay down my life a lot, but, like, what does it look like specifically? Again, so glad you asked. Verse 17, you might not like this part, but this is the word of God. If anyone, someone shout anyone. anyone. How, huh, louder. If anyone, anyone. Just in case, like, you can just kind of go like this real quick. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. What's love look like? Anyone... that has material possessions, gives. You see, I want us to understand this. As followers of Jesus, we give. And we give for two reasons. Number one is devotion. And there there are times and there are seasons. We've all been there. You guys ever been there? Where it's like, I just want to give. Like, it's just outflowing. Like, Jesus has been so good to me. That's devotion. Here's number two, obedience. Obedience. Because devotion is good, but devotion is fleeting. I give out of devotion, but I also give out of obedience. Because Christ compels me to give. You want to know what I love? Christians, we actually do this. We actually give. I, I want to share some stuff. Because I think sometimes, and maybe you guys follow the news uh, or you know social media, and sometimes Christians get a bad rap. That Christians are selfish. They don't care about other people. Um, I saw something so cool. This is, um, this is so far in 2022, um, which is crazy. But in America, and I'd assume Canada's probably similar, but in America, 70% of all philanthropy, which equates to 300 billion, has been given by Christians from churches, from Christian. Or- Did you guys get that? of philanthropy, what is philanthropy to give away? Was done by Christians. If you guys didn't know this, when COVID first started in 2020, when churches shut down, all over the world there was a financial impact because churches weren't having services and so people weren't giving. And so literally places in Africa weren't getting money, they weren't getting food because as Christians, we actually are obedient to Jesus. We actually give, it's in our DNA. Here's what's crazy, in America, Christians outgave the government. Come on, somebody. But that's not even to be celebrated. That should just be the reality. Yeah. It's our job. Someone say, it's our job. It's our job as believers because Christ has first given to us. And I just, I love that stat. And so us as a church, and we're not part of America, but we're part of the Canadian numbers, which I don't have because our stats are always way worse than Canadian than American stats, but As a church, and here's the beautiful thing, like Kingdom Church, we don't exist on an island. Every single person that calls himself a follower of Jesus, that submits to his way, they're on our team. And so we are all a part of this thing. And so as a church, we play a very small part in generosity. But we have made a commitment to act out the words of Jesus, right? If anyone has a need, we give and so as a church, we have made a commitment that says we give away, like we are committed to give away 10% of all income that comes to our church. You need to understand there are things that cost money for our church, but we're committed, hell or high water, we are giving away 10% no matter what. And then above and beyond when the Lord calls us to. So I want to just share because I think that like for the people that have been giving, faithfully to this place you need to understand how much we've been able to give in this last year so this is only up until november so all these stats are about to go up but year to date generosity project we've already given away fifty six hundred dollars towards come on somebody Towards community initiatives, this is Thanksgiving, this is outreach, Uh, we do once a month, we go downtown, we give away hot chocolate, water bottles, clothing, and by donation, all of these things. Um, And just in the first 11 months, we've given away $5,600 through the Generosity Project. Now, I want you to understand, in the next month, it's about to double pretty well, right? And so, I'll save it for a second, Generosity Project, keep it in mind, $5,600. Benevolence. Again, this is towards initiatives, again, outside of ourselves. We've given to churches, we've given to church planting organizations, we've given to um, single moms, all these things. We've already given away $8,200 in 11 months. And then the last but not least um, is donations, which it says, actually no, food bank. Yeah, just the food bank. Uh, We've given away $3,600 already to the food bank because each and every month, we are committed to giving money away to people in need outside of ourselves and I want you to understand by the end of this year that number is going to creep way over 25 grand because we're, we're still not done the year yet in December we like to go big go big or go home come on somebody so I want us to understand <clears throat> um, and, and really quickly Generosity Project as I said is about to double and so next week after service you can get involved December 11th after service next week, we're putting together gifts and a whole bunch of other stuff. There'll be more details in the email this week. If you haven't got the emails, fill out a Connect card. Um, but next week after church, just encourage you to stick around. And even the week after, December 18th, we got outreach back to back. So if you want to get tangibly involved because Christ has given to you, encourage you guys December 11th, December 18th. And really just join our generosity team. Um, and as a church, as I share these numbers, um, I'm only sharing them because I want us to understand. For those of us that give in this place, like we are actually fulfilling what God has called us to do, which is to go outside of ourselves, go beyond ourselves. But here's the church. Here's the truth: our church is only as generous as the people that give. Look at Second Corinthians chapter nine. This is Paul. He says, "Remember this: whoever sows sparingly." Will also reap sparingly. In other words, whoever gives sparingly will reap the reward sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. What Paul's saying, he's saying, you're going to get what you give. You're going to get what you give. Listen, the numbers I just shared, if you call this place home, that's your miracle right? That's, that's, that's your offering. That's those people that are getting meals and I, I, think, I think it's easy because we live in St. Albert and it's like, there's no need in St. Albert. Listen, the food bank always has need even here. We're able to tangibly help people because of the generosity of those that give to this place. But here's the truth. Generally speaking, about 20% of the people carry 100% of the load. No one clapped for that, nor should they about 20% of the people carry 100% of the load. I want you to understand, those who give sparingly, reap sparingly. Maybe the reason you've never experienced the overflow is because you have bought into the lie that says you don't have enough. Or the other lie that says, I'll get it when I give it. I'll give it when I get it. That's what I should have said, but you guys understood what I was saying. I'll give it when I got it. Well, Harrison, right now my job doesn't pay me that much, but like I'm believing in faith. Come on, Holy Spirit, like my next job is going to pay a little bit more, then I'll give. If you don't give when you got it now, you're not going to give it when you get it later. That's just the truth. And if you're waiting for devotion, Harrison, I just need the Holy Spirit to probe me. You don't need devotion, you need obedience. You see, what John is saying, he's saying right belief leads to right action. I'm going to say this. You may never come back to church, but lean in for a second. He says, when you believe the message of Jesus, your heart's posture will be to give. The inverse is this. If you don't give, you don't believe the message of Jesus. I told you you wouldn't like that one. Listen, you may understand it. Like I've heard it. I've heard it, Harrison. I've heard it before. But action is the proof that I actually believe something. I believe the words of Jesus. And so listen, a part of why we do this series, I call it a generous, our generosity. It's also a faith series. is because I believe I want to stretch us. I want to stretch our faith. The reason we end in an offering, and I say it all the time, churches aren't built on offerings. They're built on faithful giving. But the reason we end with an offering is because for so many of us, what it is, it's a moment to say, God, what are you calling me to give? And I'm going to give in obedience. And it begins to break the shackles of greed that grip all of us. Listen, here's the thing about greed. If you don't think you struggle with greed, you really struggle with greed. All of us struggle with greed. That's the truth. And so the reason that we give is to break the grip. You see, my generosity is a really good barometer for my obedience to Jesus. That's just the truth. If I'm obedient in this area, it begins to go into other areas of my life. And all of a sudden, it's day by day, step by step, but I begin to live in the overflow. Because you need to hear this. To live in the overflow isn't to get more, it's to give more. It's not to have more time, it's to give more time away. It's not to build up my skills more, it's to give my skills away. Then I will begin to live a life that is overflowing. Verse 18, he says, we read this, but I want to read it again. He says, let us not love with words or speech, but with action, This one's big too, though. And in truth. With action and in truth. So action is is literally giving of ourselves. But in truth is the message of Jesus. You see, when it comes to our church, I want us to understand this. We want to give away as much money as we can. That is always our heart because we want to help alleviate poverty. We want to help alleviate physical needs. But above all, you need to understand this, the purpose of our church is not just to alleviate poverty, but it is to bring people hope and healing. Because if I take away people's physical needs, but I don't show them what they actually need, I'm just the government. Listen, the government does give money away, but the government doesn't give you hope. And hope is not actually found in financial things. And so as a church, above all, we're called to love with action. You better believe we need to have some action. But it's also in truth. And so one of the things that we're able to do in this church because of generosity is literally week in and week out. We have services because the lights are turned on because of generosity. In three weeks, Christmas in St. Albert is back. Come on, somebody. December 24th, right here in our brand new building. Get your tickets this week. But it's only through generosity that we're able to put on these programs. And the reason we put on these programs, like, is there going to be good music? Yes. Is the hot chocolate going to be good? Probably. (laughs) But above all, there's this hope that in the Christmas season, people can find what they actually need and in this whole season my Christian brothers and sisters in the room today you need to understand people are more open and willing than ever to come to church you didn't know this but the majority of people would come to church if someone just invited them you want to know why most people don't come to church because most people don't get invited and so like I'm telling you guys Christmas in St. Albert invite your friends invite your family who don't know Jesus but guess what Because like December 24th is still 21 odd days away. You can invite someone to church next week and hope and healing, I believe, will be found in the name of Jesus. He says, we don't just love with words, but with action and in truth. Listen, y'all, your giving allows us to not just do programs, but to run ministries. I'm really believing that God's about to do something in our youth ministry. Like it's just getting off the ground, but it's people's generosity that allows us to bless young people, that allowed us to have this space, right? That we can come here on Friday nights and people can come and experience Jesus and find hope, that a 13 year old can find hope, can find healing in a world that is super, super dark. I'm, I'm passionate about young people because they, like, you guys think you watch a lot of nonsense for four hours a week or four, no, for a week, a day? Teens are like eight hours a day. Just constantly filtering in all of this stuff. And so depression, anxiety, confusion is through the roof. But as when we give. And listen, this is not just financial. This is giving of our talents. If you have a talent, you can speak to young people. You can give them hope. Join our youth. Because God's about to do something. But listen, all of this comes through generosity. This is what he says. He continues. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And listen, truth isn't a concept, it's a person, Jesus. He says, this, what we just said, how do I know I belong to Jesus? This, my heart's posture of generosity, that is how I know I belong to Jesus. And he says, that's how we set our hearts at rest. See, I said it last week, I'm gonna say it again. I think we live in a culture right now that gives us a whole bunch of prescriptions for a restless heart, a whole bunch of different ideas. But Jesus says, this it is through giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our that's how we find rest. It's an invitation. So I want to ask us for those of us that haven't been going his way, how's it been going? Do you find that your soul is restful? Do you find that you have peace that passes all understanding? Or do you find like maybe you're missing something? This is how we find rest. This is how we begin to live in the overflow. But I love this part. He says, but if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. You wanna know what he's saying? He's saying, if my feelings don't line up, God is greater than my feelings. I love that. Because listen, the first time you give of yourself, the first time you give financially, I'm not going to tell you there's going to be some rainbows and butterflies flying around your head as you give money. No, that's when the devil comes in and he begins to condemn. That's when our hearts say, I don't think I have enough. Harrison, what if I give? What will happen? He says, listen, don't follow your feelings. Follow Jesus. He's greater. When he says give... When he says, it is more blessed, this is Acts 20, he says, the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a verse, we can put it on the screen, Acts 20, verse 35, I think. Is it on there? This is the word of Jesus, not my word, his word. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you are only receiving, it's more me, I need more me, more me, more me. You're not going to be blessed, and you will not live in overflow. It is only when I say, how can I rid myself of me and give more away? Love is always directional. It is always outflowing. It is always pushing out. I don't need to trust my heart. I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope you were encouraged and inspired. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.